If you would, take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. keep this phone on me, I'll leave it here. Alright, Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 15. And we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Ephesians 1. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which was to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word tonight. And I pray, Father, as we look into thy, thy precious word, that you would speak to our hearts and challenge us and encourage us. And might we come to the fuller understanding of the revelation and the knowledge and the mystery of Christ and the glory that's to be revealed in us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message tonight Knowing and Enjoying the Fullness of God. I want to look at several things here from this passage of Scripture, and we talked a little bit last week about that we are here to bring glory and honor to, the, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, chapter 3, verse 21, is part of that verse is on our back wall here. It says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ, or Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And as Paul here writes to the church at Ephesus, uh, he begins in here in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love, unto all saints. And the first thing I see here is that the life of God is demonstrated in the lives of His people that know Him. Uh, he said, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Your faith, faith uh, has evidence. There's evidence to it. It man itself manifests itself in a life by works. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
Faith always manifests itself in works. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. Let's, let's start verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in, in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men you were among manner of men we were among you for your sake. Of course, Paul demonstrated faith to the Thessalonians in giving them the gospel. Remember at Thessalonica, they were beaten and run out of town, and then they fled and went to Berea. And, of course, at Berea, they said they was, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily. But despite the fact that they were persecuted there, there were people converted and a church was established. And it became one of the model churches of the New Testament. And so Paul says, you know, you know the word... Uh, the gospel came not in your word only, but also in power. So this is a demonstration of Paul and Barnabas and the team's faith. And then he says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sound out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So they demonstrated their faith by the, it was manifested in their lives, by the things that they did. You know, it's obvious here that wherever the Thessalonian believers went, they took their Christianity with them. You know, they preached to everybody they came to. It was in Macedonia and the KI, and it said everywhere that, that, that your faith is spread abroad. And so, faith has evidence, and that evidence, of course, is works. Go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. You know, the Bible speaks of this in many places. Of course, Hebrews 11. You know, if you read Hebrews 11, of course, we call that the faith, that's been commonly called the faith hall of fame, but, or the faith chapter of the Bible, but it really could call, be called the works chapter of the Bible. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. By faith, uh, you know, and we could go on and on. By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of Cain. So, so by faith they did something. And here in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, it says, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? So what James is really saying here, if there's no evidence, you know, faith produces evidence. And if there's no evidence, is there faith? Is it saving faith? You know, a lot of people say they believe. Believe what? Well, I believe there's a God, but so do the devils. Let's read on. Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? So that's the illustration he's giving, that if you say you have faith, and there's, it's not demonstrated in any way, it's like... Somebody that's, that's hungry and cold, and you say, well, be filled and be warm, and you don't give them any, any food, and you don't give them any apparel to put on, what's, what's, what help is that? 
What good is it? It's, it means nothing. Even so, verse 17, faith, it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by faith works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so the word, as we think about Abraham here, it says in verse 22, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? The word wrought means cause to produce. So faith caused Abraham to produce works or to act upon his faith so that when God said to Abraham, you take your son, your only son, and you go offer him on Mount Moriah as a sacrifice unto me, Abraham gathered up the wood, the servants, and Isaac his son, and headed for the mountain. And of course he laid his son on the altar. And raised a knife to slay his son. And of course the Lord called him out of heaven. But the Lord said, now I know. You see, it was a test of Abraham's faith. And Abraham demonstrated that he believed, and of course Hebrews 11 tells us this, that he believed that God would raise him from the dead. Because after all, God had promised him specifically that Isaac was the promised son through whom he would have the seed as the stars of heaven. So, if he was that son, could he be killed? Or could he stay dead? Not and fulfill the promise of God. So, Abraham, we see here that Abraham, his faith produced works. It produced works. It brought forth works. It proved itself by the things that it that he did. And of course Rahab also. Rahab understood, came to understand, that the, the, the God of the Israelites was the God of heaven, and she had come to put her trust in him, and she knew, she understood, that they were going to conquer land because God had promised to give it to them. So faith has evidence. So here we see the life of God demonstrated in, in our lives by faith. It's also demonstrated by our love. You notice in verse, again, verse 15, Wherefore also, after I heard of your faith in Lord Jesus, and love unto all saints. You know, these are, some, these, you know, these are things that show or witness to the fact that we are God's children. He says, by your love uh, unto all saints. You know, Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us. And the word commendeth means to show or to prove or to establish that fact. To exhibit to us. To demonstrate that he did love us. How did he demonstrate it? 
He commanded His love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, to, to really, you know, just like faith needs, has evidence in works, love has evidence when it's demonstrated through works. It's love, our love is demonstrated in what we value or what we appreciate. You know, Matthew 6, uh, 19 to 21 says this, Lay not up yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, we love what our heart's set on. What we treasure up, what we value shows you where our love is. And, and so, you know, there's evidence here that these people love the Lord because they love the people of the Lord. They had love unto all the saints. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. 1 John tells us that we know Cain was of that wicked one because he, what? Slew his brother. He hated his brother. That's evidence that he was a lost man. And again, he repeats that in 1 John several times about loving the brethren as evidence of, of God working in our life. So the life of God is demonstrated in our lives by faith and by our love, what we love. And of course, we love him because he first Loved us. I want you to notice the second thing, that the desire of God for every believer, and I'm going to notice several things here. First of all, that we might have the wisdom of God. Notice verse 17. says that the God of our Lord, well, let's start in verse 16. He says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. So this is Paul's prayer uh, for the blessing of God upon the Ephesian believers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Uh, so these are the things that God desires for every one of us is that we have the wisdom of God. Uh, the spirit of wisdom. The word wisdom here means broad and full intelligence. It has the idea of the ability to discourse eloquently of this wisdom. Now let me give you a simpler definition. So wisdom here is to have, an under, to have, have the uh, intelligence of the things of God to communicate by thoughts, communicate the thoughts by words, Power of fluent, forceful, and appropriate speech. Proverbs says, he that winneth souls is wise. You know, a person that, that can win souls has to understand, has to have the wisdom of God. Has to know how, with speech, with forceful and appropriate speech, how to answer every, uh, every man what, uh, the reason the hope is within him, and how to communicate the gospel to those that know him not. 
that they see their need of him. And so wisdom here, God wants us to have that wisdom so that we can communicate uh, of the thoughts by words uh, of, uh, you know, with power that we can communicate the message of the gospel uh, or the, or the, or the uh, revelation. Notice he says that he wants us to have the wisdom, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The word revelation means a spirit received from God disclosing what and how great are the benefits of salvation. So, so we need wisdom to communicate the benefits and the goodness and greatness of our God and his salvation. In the knowledge of him, and of course the word knowledge means price, pre, price, precise and correct knowledge. In other words, we don't understand what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ, about who he is. Brother Bishop said, you know, one of the questions he asked is, what do you know? What He seeks to understand what they understand about the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he, is he a good man? Is he a good teacher? Is he one of the prophets? Or is he, is he the Son of God? And being the Son of God, was he the Son of God for all eternity? There's a difference. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus became the Son of God at some point. That he's not the Son of God from all eternity. John 1.1 1, 1 in their Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. So they add the word a, and the word God at the end of that verse is a small g, it's not capitalized. So they don't believe that he was God in eternity past and became a man. They just believe he was born as a man and at some point in his time, I believe it was after the resurrection or at the resurrection, became God or a God. But he's not equal with, he's not equal with God the Father. But our Bible tells us that, that these three, uh, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. They are equal. Jesus said to... Uh, was it Thomas or Philip? Uh, Philip said, show us the Father. Jesus said, have I been so long with you, Philip? And you've not seen the Father? If you see me, you've seen the Father. He said in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. So we need to have an understanding of who God is, a precise and correct knowledge and have the wisdom to communicate that knowledge of what God has given to us. How do we get it? Well, in Matthew chapter 6 again, verse 22 and 23, that says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, if you notice in verse 18, I'm going somewhere with this, it says the eyes of your understanding. The eyes. The understanding, of course, is described as the mind, as the faculty of understanding, feeling, desire, 
To be enlightened means to come to a full understanding, to make see. And so when he, when he refers to the eyes of your understanding, he's not talking about really your literal eyes, but, but the mind, I believe the mind, uh, to really comprehend and, and the heart be willing to open to it, to understand who Christ really is and have a proper understanding of the truth of the Word of God. You know, it's an example of this from this morning. The Bible says he opened their understanding. It was like all of a sudden a light bulb turned on. And all of a sudden, they remembered everything that he said prior that he was going to die and then he was going to rise the third day. And, and then they understood why. So that remission of sins could be preached in all nations. He wasn't just the Redeemer for Israel. He came to redeem all of us from our sins. So, so you know, we need to have uh, our eyes enlightened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. So, as we think about having your eyes understand and your understanding, God wants to give us wisdom, but He also wants us to know or understand the purpose for life. Now, I say that because He says, "What is the hope?" You know, he has, says that your eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What is the hope of His calling? Now, of course, our hope is the resurrection of Christ, but I think it's referring to more than that. You know, Peter says in 1 Peter three verses, First uh, Peter one three to five, "Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God." So our hope. You know, we've we've given a lively hope. That word hope means expectation. That's what a hope is, is an expectation. And our hope is the resurrection. But I believe it's more than just that one day we're going to be resurrection. It's the hope of a resurrected life. Present tense. Not just future tense. You know, didn't Jesus say in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came to give them life, and life more abundant. And we're not to go through life like it's a drudgery waiting for the resurrection. No, we can have a resurrected life right now. Knowing, knowing our purpose or our calling in life, knowing that we're here for a reason, and knowing that, yes, one day we will be resurrected and leave this old body and go to be with our Lord. And I believe that's really what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 3. Go over there. Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> you know, most people, most people who profess to know Christ have no clue of this. They don't really understand what their hope is what their reason for living is, what their purpose is, uh, or the will of God is for their life. 
But God wants us to know these things. Verse, verse, uh, Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I kind of lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I kind of all things but lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, this is the words of a saved man, and a man that's living um, for the Lord, and yes, he's expecting to one day go and be with the Lord, but I don't believe he's talking about that. I think he's talking about the kind of life he wants right now. It says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. Now, let me ask you something. Did Paul know him? Yeah, he knew him as his Lord and Savior. He's not talking about that knowledge. He's talking about knowing him in an intimate, very personal way, like he would know his best friend and everything about him. What he likes, what his desires are, how to please him, like a, a spouse would to their spouse. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul said, I want to know his power, and I want to see his power manifested in my life. I want to see it demonstrated. I don't want to just go through life, yeah, I know him, so what? I want him to make a difference in my life. I want to be used by him. And of course, he did. He said, and the fellowship of his suffering. So that one doesn't sound so great. But you think about some of the things that he suffered. Notice in, in the preceding verses, in verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. You know, everything about his past was gone. He lost it all. His place among the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was somebody going somewhere. But it's all gone. As far as the world's standing. He lost it all. And he said, I willingly lost it. It's all but dung. It's like a manure heap. Compared to what I've gotten in Christ. It doesn't even compare. You know, if we would begin to realize what we really have in Christ and our potential in Him, we'd forget about all the things we gave up to serve the Lord. Because it pales in comparison. Then he says this, the fellowship of the sufferings being made conformable unto his death. How do you make yourself conformable unto his death? Well, in Philippians chapter 2 he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion of man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. So he, the Lord laid aside everything that he had with the Father, and humbled himself to be made like unto sinful men, so that he could die for sinful men. So what it really means is, dying to my old self and my ambitions and living to please the Lord and serve the Lord by serving His create His creatures. 
He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to get what he cannot lose, Jim Elliott said. That's how we're made conformable unto his death. We die to self. It's no longer what I want, but what does the Lord want? See, this is our calling. This is the resurrected life. Paul goes on and says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained. Now, we would say, well, Paul, I, if anybody arrived, you have. No, he said, I haven't already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but with this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So he continues to press on, forgetting about the things that he lost for Christ's sake, and pressing on to gain the prize, the reward. In fact, in uh, chapter 1, in verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I choose, what I wot not. For I am the straight betwixt two, having desired to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, you know, so he, so he was, in a sense, like his Lord here who prayed, uh, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he says, nevertheless, verse 24, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. I still have a purpose here. And so I'm more than happy to stay and continue to minister and suffer the afflictions of the gospel. And living that resurrected life, to have purpose and the hope of his calling and to living that resurrected life now. See, God wants us to know the hope of his calling, to be able to live uh, uh, you know, some, you, you, I'm sure you've heard the saying that, you know, somebody said, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Well, what are we doing under the circumstances? We're not to live under our circumstances. And then a third thing, not only to know the purpose of life or the hope of his calling, but to know our glorious inheritance, verse 18 again, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. To know our glorious inheritance. Again, 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible. That, to me, is hard to understand. There is nothing that I have had, possessed, or known in this life that's incorruptible. I mean, I think I've got a pretty nice house. You know what? Every once in a while, I have to work on it. I have to paint it every so often. 
I've had to replace the roof since I've had it. We had to replace the deck boards because they were rotted out. Why? Because it's all corruptible. Now, I try to put quality things into it. You know, there's tile in our in our uh, living room and kitchen and dining room and area, but now the tile's all cracking up and there's a big hump in the floor that goes into the dining room. You know what? I'm going to have to fix that. Why? Because it's all corruptible. Now, I'm going to get an inheritance that's incorruptible. That means there will be no drywall and no carpet. No OSB board. No. It incorruptible. But think about, let's think a little further, a little closer home, the body. You know, I got things that sometimes ache that didn't used to ever ache. Um, I don't have as many hairs as I used to. I got a tooth with a hole in it. What's happening? My body's corrupting. I don't wrestle with the boys anymore. Because they're not boys. Well, the one of them still is, sort of, but... Uh, you know, this body is corrupting. But one day I'm going to get an incorruptible body like under our glorious Savior. You know, he talks about that a little bit in John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. We're not so able to told you. I'll go to prepare a place for you. But go to, uh, and of course, Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 12 says, if we suffer with him, we, also sh- we shall also reign with him if we deny him, he also will deny us. Of course, Revelation 20 and verse 6, and you go to Revelation 21. But Revelation 20 and verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. You know, this is our glorious inheritance. Look at Revelation chapter 21. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God was in You know, man, when you saw your bride coming down the aisle, you thought she was flawless, right? She appeared that way. And this is the picture he gives of the new heaven and new earth. Verse 3, again, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God was with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, you think about that we're going to dwell with God. Now, if you have the wisdom and the knowledge, and your lives have been enlightened, you have to understand who God is and who God can dwell with. Verse 27 says that nothing shall enter that defileth. That means you and I have to be made perfect to live in this place. To dwell with God. Again, we're speaking of an 
incorruptible, a glorious, incorruptible body. That doesn't even have bad thoughts or ill thoughts. Verse 5, and he sat upon the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Uh, but the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and adulterers, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with the fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then, and if you move on in this chapter, he describes the gates of the city and the city and the streets of gold. I'm not going to take time to read all that. But, but uh, 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 he that, notice verse 7 again, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You know, who are those that overcome? It's those that have been redeemed and born again and have evidenced or demonstrated by a life of faith that they are God's children. You see, these these are the things that God desires for every believer to know and understand. He also desires that we know the greatness of his power. Just quickly here in Ephesians chapter 1 again. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is, so it's a continuous thought, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him the dead, set him his own right hand in the heavenly places. So he wants us to know the greatness of his power. You know, I wrote in my Bible, Daniel 6.23. And there it says that, that uh, uh, and I think it was actually uh, 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 Darius that said, that your God has shut the mouths of the lions because you believed. See, God demonstrated his power in the life of Daniel because Daniel believed him. Daniel believed him. What is the greatness of his power to us who to believe? If we want to see God's power demonstrated in our life, we have to take him at his word. Abraham saw God's power demonstrated in his life by offering Isaac. Moses saw God's power demonstrated in his life by forsaking Egypt. By leaving it. And because he forsook Egypt, He saw the burning bush that was not consumed. He saw all the plagues that the Lord brought upon Egypt. He saw the smiting of the firstborn. He saw the Red Sea parted. He saw water out of the rock. He saw the manna from heaven. He saw God face to face as it were. All these things he saw because he believed. He believed. I know my opinion is not worth much, but I think Moses is the greatest man in the Old Testament who spoke of the 
accord as a man speaketh to his friends face to face. He was not without his faults. We know that. He struck the rock instead of speaking to it. But yet, he was a man greatly used, and he said, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up like unto me. Him shall you hear. He compared himself, by inspiration again, to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, all these, these people saw the power of God. And Paul knew and understood the power of God. You know, he saw it evidenced in his life. Look, go to 1 Corinthians not First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter twelve. <clears throat> Second Corinthians, chapter twelve. You know, he lists in chapter eleven. He lists all the things that happened unto him. Uh, you know, the the beatings, the the perils. You know, at one point he was left dead, uh, left for dead, but then got up and walked back into the city. And then in, in, in chapter 12, and verse, uh, verses 7 through 9, he talks about this thorn in the flesh. And it says in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Again, it's because of the power of Christ. You know, he saw, again, it was, a, it was his life being able to continue on his ministry even though he had that thorn in the flesh was an evidence of the power of God working in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, in verses 8 through, through 10, he says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. For we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be, even, may be given by many on our behalf. Now we don't know for sure what it was that Paul was delivered from, but he was on the verge of death. Probably one of his persecutions. Or maybe when he was stoned and left for dead at Lystra. We don't know. I think it was you know I think it was later than that, because it don't fit the the, the order of things. But but something Paul God delivered him through. You see, God's power is to usward who believe. And again, it will be demonstrated in our lives when we take him at his word. We have to lay aside our logic, our human reasoning. You know, tithing is an example of that. Tithing and faith promise is a greater example of that. Some people say, I can't afford to tithe. Does it make human reasoning? Does it make human logic? To give 10% and then plus an offering above that, does that make sense? That if you do that, God will prosper you? God will supply your needs? No, it doesn't make human sense. But it's God that provides and demonstrates. 
And so, God wants to demonstrate His power. You know, think of it this way, of, of God's power. Genesis 1.16 says He made two great lights. One to rule the day, and one to rule the night. And then it says, and He made those stars also. Do you ever go out in a real dark night? I know you can't do that around here because there's too much light everywhere. But if you grew up in Pennsylvania like I did, you go out in a great night, there's no point like it's just dark. And you can see stars and stars and stars and stars. And it just says, and he made the stars also. That's no big deal. See, that wasn't hard for the Lord. And he wants to demonstrate, he wants us to know the exceeding greatness of his power. It's to usward who believe. You know, you can take God as word. He will keep his promises. You can trust him. He will not be found a liar. He will keep it. Might God help us to live a life that demonstrates that we have the resurrected life and the hope of his calling and demonstrate his power to a lost and dying world.